and um, there's enough for everybody to have one. I have some different books up here. I want to um, just give you a little introduction to the subject of the tabernacle. It's been eight years <clears throat> since I had taught anything about the tabernacle. It's, <clears throat> it's a wonderful study because when you understand the tabernacle, you understand a lot of other things in the Bible that you don't quite get without understanding the tabernacle. I have up here a chart, and um, this chart has lots of number numberings on it to match the information on the backside. I can't show you anything bigger than this right now, but you can come up here and look at some of this later. Um, I also have different books and things uh, that uh, have pictures and, and whatnot. Um, last fall when I was back east with Hannah and John Mark, I was able to go, uh, John Mark and I went to a tabernacle museum in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and uh, we were able to uh, just go through and, and see a replica of the tabernacle uh, and, uh, and to just get some more information. And so there's different uh, pictures and things laid out. I'm going to show a video in a little bit and, uh, and then show you a little PowerPoint first. Uh, but the tabernacle is pretty awesome. This, this book here is a new one that I've gotten, and it's got different uh, layers to illustrate uh, the tabernacle uh, in, in, in three layers in 3D form. I don't know if I can do this upside down or not. Let's see here. So for instance, it shows this as it would look covered. And of course, it's just kind of blah. It's just kind of brown and not very attractive. But what's neat is it shows you the under layer that, that you wouldn't see. And uh, I think I skipped one. It shows the red. And of course, all these colors have symbols and they mean something. You know, how we have the different colors that we sing in Sunday school, red and white. Well, there's, there's a reason for it all. And God, so underneath that ugly brown, was these beautiful colors. If you were to cut into it like a cake, you'd see, and then this is very intricate here, all that, all that embroidery and, and intertwined and, and weaving. And then, of course, it shows the cutaway of what it would look like inside. And, of course, it was gold on the inside. And, uh, pretty neat. This is just another one of those illustration books. And so a lot of neat stuff has been put together about the tabernacle. And what I gave you tonight is just a simple handout. Now, I have lots of, lots of papers that I could give out, but I'm not going to burn off multiple copies every Sunday evening if not everyone's interested. But if you come to me and say, Pastor, I want, I want everything you got. I'll, I'll take a copy of it. I'll be glad to punch holes in it and give it to you, and then you can start your own little booklet. Uh, but I don't want to kill trees and burn, and burn off copies if it's not going to be something you're going to really save. But if you're interested in stuff like I give out tonight and you want more of that and you want to make a little folder for yourself, please let me know, and I'll give you more and to give you more uh, information on that. Now, um, I have behind me uh, kind of a layout of the, of the tabernacle, and you can see it by the handout that I've given you. Uh, you have the tabernacle laid out for us, the tabernacle floor plan, if you're looking at that side, that has that on the left side there. And you have the brazen altar uh, there in the front. And um, you got the east entrance. you got the north, south, west. And the east entrance is the front, I guess. Then you've got that brazen altar. Then you've got what's called the laver or the wash basin. You, you've got inside the actual tabernacle. See, that courtyard isn't the actual tabernacle. It's just, it's just the outer courtyard like a fence made out of curtain and just one entrance on the east side. And, uh, and so that's up here in front of me, and you've got that in your hand on the paper. Uh, so then inside the courtyard, the first thing you come to is the altar of burnt offering. This is made out of brass. That's the reason why it's made out of bronze. It's the bloody altar. That's where all the animals would be sacrificed. And so there was lots of blood around this altar. It was the blood sacrifice. Then you have the laver, which would have had the water for washing up. Then you would 
only if you were uh, a, a priest or would you be allowed to go into the actual tabernacle. The first room would be considered the tabernacle front or the sanctuary. The second room would be considered what some call the holy of holies or the most holy place. And the different furniture, of course, is that bigger altar out front, which would contain the animal sacrifices and the blood. Then the laver, made out of the uh, looking glasses of the women. We'll talk about that later. Then inside you've got the table of showbread, as well as the lampstand with seven total candles on it, seven branches total, uh, six on each side of this golden lampstand. And the whole interior of the tabernacle would have been all of gold. Then, in, in front of that, close to the curtain, right close to the veil, you'd have a smaller altar, much smaller, called the altar of incense. And it was to represent the prayers, the incense going upward, representing the prayer. And then only if you were the high priest, and only once a year, would you go into the veil that separated the first room from the smaller second room. And you would go into that veil into the most holy place, and there in the most holy place would be the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, it, it, it really has nothing to do with Indiana Jones, absolutely nothing. Uh, and so that's just a complete spinoff uh, of what the true tabernacle and what the true Ark of the Covenant was about. And then the Ark of the Covenant inside would have three items. It would have the Ten Commandments. It would have a pot of, of manna and the golden pot or ophir of manna and manna was the bread that came from God every morning during the wilderness wanderings and it was uh, it was called manna because manna meant what is it it was just heavenly bread and of course that's a picture too and all of this in fact all of this is a picture of something and I'll explain that in a minute but then you have the ark of the covenant and the ark of the covenant was actually two pieces uh, oh and so I said that the the pot of manna the Ten Commandments. The third item would have been Aaron's rod. And Aaron's rod that budded. Now what's then special about that? Number 17, you have the story of the 12 different tribes all laying out, each tribe having a, a, a wooden stick, a wooden rod. And there was an argument about which should be the, you know, the certain tribe or whatever. And, and they always argued with Aaron and Moses about who should be in charge. And and so God just said, lay out these 12 sticks in the tabernacle. Come back the next day and I'll show you something. Came back the next day and one of the sticks, Aaron's rod, budded and blossomed and actually had almonds growing on it. Just a, Now, I know Mr. Pryor's a pretty good, you know, green thumb, but he ain't doing that. No, nobody's going nobody's gonna to take a stick and have it grow something on it the next day. It's just not going to happen let alone blossom and bud almonds, all right, and, and actual, actually edible almonds. So, so that rod was put in there as well as a testimony as well. And, uh, and then on top of the ark, the box, all made with, overlaid with gold, was the lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat with the two cherubim that, that was hovering over, and that would have been a representation of the presence of God. Now, let's go for a minute to Hebrews, and then I'm going to... Uh, go through some of the PowerPoint as well, and uh, and we'll go through Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter number eight, and I just want to look at a couple things there. Hebrews chapter eight, and then we'll we'll watch something on video to help illustrate <coughs> and give you a better visual picture of this. 
as we, as we talk about this. And uh, I guess maybe I could go ahead and scroll some of my PowerPoint too. I've described it. There's kind of a, uh, just a cutaway view of it. This was even, that's a little bit fuzzy and not as easy to see. This is a little better, a little more color. You see the, the, what it would kind of look like from a, from a bird's eye view and how that the outer shell, as I said, is just kind of a brown uh, you know, uh, fur of animals, but, but nothing attractive, but absolutely gorgeous within. And by the way, that's also a picture of Jesus because Jesus is not outwardly attractable, but inwardly he's absolutely beautiful. And that's just the way Christianity is. It's not supposed to be impressive necessarily to the world around us, but it is absolutely beautiful when you get inside. And so you see that. And then, and then like on the book that I have there, you have the cutaway and you have uh, the labels of the different things. And as I just said, and the, the candlestick and, and the table of showbread and the altar of incense, and then the holy place, the most holy place. And what's interesting, and the only light in this entire structure is that lampstand, but you understand that the veil separates the first room from the second room. So how is there light inside the holy place? Because God is the light. And, uh, and so, and then of course the table of showbread had the 12 different, uh, uh, piece of bread or loaves of bread on it representing the 12 tribes and then you see the tents all around it and they camped all around uh, the, the tabernacle and in certain order they were they were to camp in certain order and certain tribes camped uh, around it and so you, this is kind of again kind of what it would look like this is the the different tribes and of course you had the Levites the Levites were right around the tabernacle and then you had the other 12 of course Levites technically 13 but you you'll have to bear with me on that for a minute but Issachar, Zebulun, Judah on the east Naphtali, Asher, Dan on the north Reuben, Sibion, Gad on the south Manasseh, Benjamin, Ephraim on the west and so the whole nation would camp around it but they would not camp around it in perfect number in other words some numbers were larger than others Um, if I'm not mistaken the eastern side these numbers here were larger than the other than the other side and so from a distance i'm looking i'm looking from the north east to the southwest right now that's the angle now let me show you let me let me back up a little farther and show you what it looks like even further out this is the angle you have asher dan naphtali on the north side zebulun judah issachar on the east side and you've got ephraim uh, benjamin and manasseh on on that side and, and on, the, on the west side. And, and so they have their banners, their standards. And, with, and, the, and the inner circle would have been the Levites, right? They were the priests. This is what it looks like further away. Now, does that kind of look like something? And, and that's not by accident. See, this whole thing, the whole thing of the tabernacle is a picture. It's a mosaic. It, it's, it's showing something. The colors, the gold and the, the blue and the, and the red, the scarlet and the purple, all of it points to Christ. And so back then, you know, three, 4,000 years ago, they wouldn't even know what they were looking at because nobody had ever died on a cross back then. You know what I mean? Their crosses weren't used as execution instruments back in the Old Testament in the wilderness. But God knew what was coming. And so, um, again, you, you see the, the numbers where uh, this is the longer side because, and that's the east side. So if you're looking east, it, it almost looks like a perfect cross the way it's laid out the numbers aren't exactly perfect but who says the cross was in perfect uh symmetric when it was nailed together the point is is that's what it it lays out to be so that's just kind of another interesting side note as well and um i'll blank that out and i think i'm done with that um 
Daniel, so when I'm ready, I'll have you flip it over to the video. Let me just quickly, though, talk about some of this because when God told Moses to build this tabernacle, he went up to Mount Sinai, and, and, and I'm not going to have you go to Exodus 24, but in Exodus 24 and, and Exodus 32, remember he comes back down and they're dancing around this golden calf and, 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 and God's already given him all this instruction and then he goes back up and he repeats everything and Exodus in the 30s, 33 and following, he's given the instructions of the tabernacle. And what God did is God said, Moses, I want you to build something called the tabernacle and I want you to build it as a pattern of the real one in heaven. See, the original, the original is not the one that we're studying. The original is really in heaven. And the reason why we know that is because of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter number 8 and verse 1. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So right off the bat, you're starting to realize that Old Testament tabernacle is an object lesson. And that's why it's so good to teach this, because if you'll understand this whole system, it'll help you to understand a lot of the rest of the Bible. All the way into Revelation, it'll help you to understand what God's referring to here. And what he did is he told Moses to build something that replicated what was already in heaven. You say, well, what exactly is the tabernacle versus the temple? Good question. The only difference is the tabernacle was more of a tent. It was more of a collapsible, foldable, movable as they wandered through the wilderness. When they finally got to the land of Israel, they, they did away with the removable tent and instead had a temple. The temple was the same thing as the dimensions you have on your paper, what I showed on this screen. The temple was the same concept, only permanent with brick and stone and, and a permanent structure. But again, it's the same it's the same pattern and the same concept as what is the real. And the real is in heaven. This Old Testament system and even the Old Testament temple or the temple that was in the days of Christ was just a symbol, a symbolic thing. And so um, I don't have the picture to show you, but you all know what happened when Jesus died on the cross and yelled, it is finished. And that veil in the temple, which is just like the tabernacle, that veil in the temple that separated the most holy from the rest, it ripped in two from top to bottom, declaring that man was now able to go into the most holy place to, and enter boldly, as it says in Hebrews, and let us come boldly to the throne of grace, all right? See, that was scary. That, nobody but the high priest went into the holy place, most holy place. That was just, you, I mean, that's the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil ripped in two and changed all that. So, Moses saw the true tabernacle of the Lord. He saw, he, or at least he was given the pattern of it to build. And so we see here in verse 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. The real one was already in heaven. I think the word was settled in heaven before we got copies of it to read. I think the real of everything has always originated with God, and God's just given us those patterns and examples to follow. Look with me in chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, in verse 23 and 24. It was therefore necessary that the patterns 
of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. What is he talking about? That Old Testament animal blood. The Old Testament animal sacrifices was a picture of the lamb who was Jesus. And the Old Testament animal sacrifices and the blood, all that blood on that altar, was a picture of the lamb that was one day going to come. And you know, the last lamb recorded in the Bible to have been slaughtered was Christ. That's the last lamb that, that needed to be. He is the, he is the one and only. And, and so John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Anyway, verse 23, It was necessary that patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, the patterns on earth made after what was in heaven, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Why? Verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands. Christ doesn't need to go into the tabernacle or the temple, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, goes into the true temple in heaven, and his blood is the atonement on the mercy seat, on the altar, uh, for our sac- as our sacrifice for sin. I'm, I'm just giving you an overview. If you're a little bit lost, that's okay. I'm just giving you a little bit of an overview of the, of the big picture here. There, this all points to Jesus Christ, everything about it. In fact, the veil is called, his body is called the veil, ripped for us and, and, and open for us so that we have access to God. It's interesting also, it's not just coincidence, that there's seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. There's the big altar out front. If you have your paper in front of you, you can look at that. Then there's the laver. Then there's the table of showbread. And then there's the lampstand with seven candles. And then there's the altar of incense. You say, Pastor, you're not very good at math because you're running out of furniture. Well, actually, the Ark of the Covenant is two pieces. The Ark itself is the box, and the lid is considered the mercy seat. And so there's a total of seven pieces of furniture that make up the tabernacle and of course there's a reason for that so all of this is very typology a lot of types and symbols and pictures and this is the way we teach this is the way we teach Sunday school we use object lessons we use illustrations to teach and to explain uh, what it is that uh, that God's trying to show uh, and, and that's what he did that's what the Bible says the Bible says the Old Testament in, in 1 Corinthians 10 it says the Old Testament things and stories were examples or in samples for us for our learning and, uh, and so I'm glad you're here tonight. I hope more will be here in the future as we discuss this subject of the tabernacle. And I tried to time it so that it would lead up to Easter because that's where this is all going. This is all going to when the Lamb of God became the atonement for the world and, and, and died on the cross and the veil ripped in two from the top to bottom. The only difference, again, between the tabernacle and the temple is the tabernacle was movable. And the temple was permanent, brick and stone, brick and mortar. So, uh, but basically, they're, they're the same concept between uh, Solomon's temple and the uh, uh, tabernacle of wilderness in Moses' day. Now, I'm going to ask uh, Daniel if he'll go ahead and uh, turn that on. And this video, it, it's it. I like it because they did a good job illustrating or showing us and helping us visualize. Uh, they didn't use the King James version. I don't like that. Uh, but I do appreciate the the video uh, as far as just the illustration of it. So just uh, help you to, to visualize and see it and to get uh, maybe some more out of that. So I'm going to take the time to do that now. And so are you ready?
tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I am going to show you, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the furniture, just so you shall construct it. An amazing self-sustaining pillar of fire, partially veiled by clouds, became the visual cue the Israelites learned to follow after their miraculous escape from Egypt and the 400 years of slavery to the Pharaoh. After the parting of the Red Sea, it would seem that the Hebrew people would have eagerly obeyed everything that God asked them to do. But their investigation of the land God had promised them caused them to fear for their lives again. Yet this time, they did not give God the opportunity to show how he could deliver them. Instead, they chose their own way. Sadly, the result of this disobedience was to be forced to wander in the desert wilderness for 40 years. Yet, this nomadic lifestyle and the loss of the former promise did not mean that God had abandoned them. He had promised to dwell among them, so he commanded Moses to build a house of sorts. This dwelling place was for the God of a people who now lived in tents. This house was known as the Tabernacle. of God would appear as a pillar of fire to direct them and protect them. And by day, it would appear as a pillar of cloud. And throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Whenever this divine cloud would stop, the sons of Israel would assemble and set up camp. Each tribe had specific instructions about where to establish its camp. In the center of the encampment was the tabernacle and the presence of God. The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their father's households. They shall camp around the tent of meeting at a distance. Now those who camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah, by their armies. And those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun. On the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their armies. And those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon. Then comes the tribe of Gad. Then the tent of meeting shall set out with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps. 
just as they can. So they shall set out every man in his place by their standards. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their armies. And next to him shall be the tribe of Manasseh. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin. On the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their armies. And those that camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali. These are the numbered men of the sons of Israel by their fathers' households. The total of the numbered men of the camps by their armies, 603,550. The Levites, however, were not numbered among the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. God is holy. Nothing unclean or anyone with sin can exist in the presence of God. So a separation was created to keep the sin of the people apart from the holiness of God. This outer curtain was the beginning of that separation. No one harboring sin could pass through it. And the sole purpose in going beyond its borders was to seek atonement or the forgiveness of sins. And he erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. Man cannot survive in God's presence unless he is invited and is completely pure. And so even Moses, the man of God, had to wait until the cloud lifted before he could even enter the tabernacle. Begin at the east gate, a curtain skillfully woven of blue, purple, and scarlet, and of finely twisted linen. Entering into the courtyard, we come to the place where the first step in meeting with God was taken. In the understanding of the seemingly cruel sacrifices comes the beauty of forgiveness and a position of right standing with God. Build an altar of acacia wood, three cubits high. It is to be square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns and the altar are of one piece. And overlay the altar with bronze. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar, and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the rings, so that they will be on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. God required daily sacrifices to be made, continually confirming the covenant between himself and the people. These sacrifices and offerings would be a pleasing aroma 
an offering made to the Lord by fire for generations to come. This burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet with you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory. Next, we see a large basin of water placed strategically between the brazen altar and the tent of meeting. The laver was a vessel of physical and symbolic cleansing for the priests in their service before the Lord. It was absolutely essential that they were to be clean before beginning the process of meeting with their holy God. Make a bronze basin, with it a bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and feet with water from it. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water, so that they will not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by presenting an offering made to the Lord, by fire, they shall wash their hands and feet so that they will not die. This is to be a lasting ordinance for Aaron and his descendants for the generations to come. Once again, we come to a place of further separation and increasing holiness for only the priests would enter into the tent of meeting to tend to the tasks inside. The curtains served to place emphasis on purity and consecration, which were prerequisites before proceeding into the first room of the tent of meeting. This visual reminder heightened the importance of God's holiness. Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side, three on the other. Then make it seven lamps and set them upon it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all its accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Closed off from the outside world, the single source of light for the holy place came from the seven lamps atop the golden lampstand. The combined light of these oil lamps would reflect well off the walls since they were covered completely with gold. The ambient glow of the lampstand would illumine across the room to the table of showbread. On this table were kept 12 loaves of fresh bread, one for each tribe, as a continual reminder of man's need for God's provision. This offering of bread was called the bread of presence since it was kept before God's presence. Make a table of acacia wood two cubits long, a cubit wide, 
and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold and make a gold molding around it. Also make around it a rim a handbreadth wide and put a gold molding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as its pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of presence on this table to be before me at all times. Since the desert was not a source of abundant food, God provided all the food the Israelites needed to sustain them. The table of showbread then represented an offering to God. They would give an offering of their first fruits from the abundance that he had provided. It was a thanks offering, expressing gratitude for God's abundant blessings. The altar of incense represented the need for the prayers of the people to be continuously directed upwards toward God, and that those same prayers would be received by God as a sweet aroma and be pleasing to his ear. Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high, its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold, and make a gold molding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on opposite sides, to hold the poles to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Just beyond the altar of incense was the Holy of Holies. This dwelling place of God was so solemn and set apart that the veil would only be opened once a year. It was then that the high priest would meet with God. Pushing back the veil reveals the article above which this most holy meeting would occur, the Ark of the Covenant. Have them make a chest of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it, and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side, and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the chest, to carry it. Make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide. And make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end, and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward 
overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark, and put in the ark the testimony, which I will give you. There, above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Stored inside the ark were three very important reminders of the people's relationship with God. Each one reminded the Israelites of having learned a specific lesson from God. The value in keeping these three items was to build a remembrance of God's provision and direction for his children. Since the desert could not produce enough food for all the people, God provided a special food for them every morning, manna. Six days of every week, they collected this heaven-sent food. The Israelites had received this manna faithfully each morning for 40 years. As an enduring testimony, a golden pot filled with manna was kept inside the ark. Inside the golden pot was an omar's worth of manna, or one day's portion. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omar of manna and keep it for the generations to come so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The difficulties of life in the desert became a heavy toll for many of the Israelites. They even revolted against the leaders God had chosen for them. Yet, God proved to them that he had chosen their leader. The sign for this was Aaron's rod that had miraculously budded, flowered, and bore almonds all in one night. This was their reminder to not complain against the Lord's chosen. Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff, on the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Place them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. The next day, Moses entered the tent of the testimony and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the house of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. The Lord said to Moses, Put back Aaron's staff in front of the testimony, to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me, so that they will not die. The best known of the reminders kept inside the ark were the two stone tablets engraved with the Ten Commandments. These tablets contained the primary rules they were to live by, which would protect and govern them. God would also use these to examine their faithfulness 
and commitment to following Him. Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. It is here, just above the cover to the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Mercy Seat, here in this space where the cherubim have set their full attention, that God's presence would appear to and meet with the High Priest on a specified day and then only once a year. The Holy of Holies had no lampstand, no artificial light was permitted. Here in this place, where the immortal God would meet with mortal man, the only light came from the powerful purity found in the presence of God.
God told Moses that this earthly tabernacle was a model of the true one in heaven. He was to construct the tabernacle according to the pattern God showed him. The physical pattern was a model of spiritual patterns that were to be followed as well. We see the fulfillment of all these patterns, or lessons, in the person of Yeshua, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. Through his sacrifice on the cross, he made it possible for us to come into a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. When we come to fully understand and trust in Jesus as Messiah, we can then stand before God, cleansed and forgiven. showing videos on Sunday nights, but I wanted to show that because it kind of gives you a good idea of what it was like, that computer-generated video of what the tabernacle would have been. And again, it is, an, it is a pattern of the heavenly. Uh, imagine going into the presence of God in heaven, uh, and, and of course that's why everything's gold on the inside, um, because that's what it's picturing here. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wish they'd have used the old King James Ten Commandments sure sound a lot better when you say thou shalt not. But anyway, um, it, it just paints that picture in your mind so that you can uh, visualize that. Again, if you'd like the handouts in the future, let me know, and I'll make sure I make enough for you to have one. Uh, but we'll just be going over one by one the, the pieces of furniture, what they mean. Everything has representation. And when you, when you read the Bible after understanding the tabernacle system and the priest system, it really helps you to understand what the New Testament is referring to and what, what the um, object lesson is, is showing us in, in the New Testament. And so I really appreciate studying the tabernacle, and I don't want to do it too often because it doesn't need to be done too often, but it's a real uh, eye-opener for, for us when we learn it. And so I hope that you'll be here uh, for weeks to come and, and uh, gain something from it. And if you have questions about it, please ask, and I'll try to answer those questions. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to just open to a, it's not an official business meeting, but we're just going to open to a little bit of a discussion that will be dismissed tonight. Lord, we do pray for uh, our evening, that we would be safe as we go home. Pray that uh, the one sick would be better. I pray for Larry to be able to get on his feet and to be able to be with us for uh, the wedding in the future and, and uh, to be able to uh, uh, not be a burden and be, and be uh, uh, an invalid as he has been. And so I pray that you just help him. I pray that you would help us to encourage him and encourage Gene. And I do pray for us as we study and, and, and learn about the tabernacle, that we'll see you in all of it and that we'll see uh, your design and purpose from the beginning of time and help us to gain information and wisdom that will help us and encourage us as we read and understand the word. Thank you for opportunity to be together tonight and help us to be wise in the decisions that we make. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.